Hi, and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we're librarians at the Beaufort County Library in South Carolina. And this week, our topic is retellings of classic books. And I feel like there are a lot of those in the literary mm-hmm. world, don't you think? Yeah, it's a very, at least for me, a very awesome trend. Mm-hmm. I'm always attracted to a retelling. Even if I haven't read the book, mm-hmm. like the original mm-hmm. source material, I always am curious about it because I love seeing the choices that the authors make in reinterpreting things. Yes. I think it's very, very interesting. Yes, I particularly like, I think, although now that I'm saying this, I can think of a few examples that are not this, but modern day retellings mm-hmm. of stories because I like to see how they interpret the modern right. conveniences that we have I'm, I'm thinking of like eligible. I'm so surprised you didn't do eligible for this. Didn't I already talk about eligible? Just I thought the, I already had. I thought it was just in the preview. <gasps> oh darn! I know. Oh, I could have talked about eligible. Well, it, it'll be on your favorite it'll books be on of, the year, of the year. So. Anyway, eligible is a retelling of Pride and Prejudice that I obviously really liked. That was one. It was taking the, which it can be hard because the societal conventions of the time are so different from what mm-hmm. we have now and so important and to the so story important to the story yeah. exactly so i loved i like seeing how they take that and when it's successful how they've managed to make it successful because i've read some that are not successful right. at all because it's so glaringly obvious that the story was set at that time before a you know it, there was a reason that the story worked at the time that it right. does not work in the current day so right. i do like that although that's not the only version of a retelling mm-hmm. that i like but i do, i do like seeing that portion of it yeah i think that's very cool and it's interesting as a kid i read i read fairy tale retellings all the time mm-hmm. that was probably my favorite thing to read when i was a kid well i say that on a lot of topics <laughs> i really think about it it was one of my favorites uh-huh. but they still were usually in the same time period or same world it just was fleshing out the plot right um and so now as an adult i'll enjoy more when they reinterpret things Mm -hmm. and and sort of recast characters or even take something that's sort of a side thing and make it into a bigger point of the book i think is really fun so there's all kinds of cool ways to to take this idea and yeah i feel like i could have chosen 15 different books yeah, that I've read. Yeah, this was really hard to under, pick. Yes. And even last night after I finished my show notes, I was looking at my shelf and I thought, oh, I, I should have done that one. I know. When am I ever going to talk about that book I know, now? I know. We'll have to so, do a part two at some yeah, point. Yeah, we could easily yeah. do part two yeah. on this. All right, so what's your first one? My first book is one of my absolute favorite books as a kid. It's Beauty by Robin McKinley. And this is a retelling of Beauty and the Beast. And I can't tell you how many times I read this when I was like 10. Really? All, all the time. Even even picking up my copy, I opened it up and the seeing the font and the the title page uh-huh. and there's it sort of has this like scroll work sort of sort of motif going on on the title page and I was like oh, it just took me back to being in my room and reading it on my bed and and just loving every minute yeah. of it. it. I adore this book. So, in this uh version of the story, it's Uh, Beauty is a 16-year-old who is living with her father, and she has two beautiful older sisters who are named Grace and Hope. And Beauty's name is actually unfortunate because as she's growing up, she was a very pretty little girl, but she it becomes apparent that she didn't inherit any of her sister's looks and she's going to be kind of awkward and nondescript. And so it's beauty is actually a nickname for her. Her real name is honor. But um, when she's a kid, she says that she'd rather be beauty than, than honor. And so that became her nickname. And then by the time she got to be an adult and they realized she wasn't actually beautiful, it seemed kind of cruel to take away that name from her. And it just sort of became a, a, a silent point for the family. So 
given that that history in a traditional fairy tale this would be a, a recipe for some pretty evil sisters but beauty's family is extremely loving and close and even though uh, she wishes she could live up to her name and that she could look like her sisters. She doesn't resent them. I think in the original, I was trying to remember back on the original story, I think the sisters are pretty vain and silly in the original mm-hmm. story mm-hmm. And, and Beauty is more, she enjoys the simple pleasures of life and mm-hmm. she's, a, she's a little bit more grounded than her sisters. But in this version, the whole family is just good and wonderful and, and there isn't really any any conflict between them. So the family is prosperous because the father is a, a very successful merchant and they live a very happy life until the father's entire fleet is lost at a, a storm at sea. And so they lose all of their property, they lose all of their possessions, but they come together and try to forge a new life until they learn that one of the ships that had thought to be lost is actually had, had recently come into port in a different city pretty far away. And so the father leaves and he wants to find out what happened and maybe that they are not as destitute as they think they are. So before he leaves, he offers to bring each of the sisters back a gift and um, they refuse him, but they jokingly say, bring us back emeralds and pearls and diamonds. And so that's a pretty key point in the story, in, in the original story, that these sisters are so vain and so selfish that they want all of these riches. Mm-hmm. But in the book, it's very much a joke. And so I really liked that way of incorporating this that little sort of hinging point of, of the story um, into this this new version. So Beauty is actually the only one that asks asks for a serious gift, and she asks for a cutting of a rose. And this isn't meant to, to portray any sort of um, superiority of character, but it's just because they live in a, a kind of ugly setting, and she's hoping to, to get something that can kind of beautify it a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, but it's it's not taken in the same way that mm-hmm. that the original story portrays that that request so um we all know the story that of what happens as the father is traveling back from the city he takes shelter in a storm at a uh, silent castle it's very beautiful every need he has is met but when he leaves he tries to take a single rose and he's confronted by a terrible beast who demands that the daughter who is going to be given the rose come back to live with him within a month and if she doesn't the beast will go find him and and kill the father so Beauty, when when she learns of this, she insists that she's going to do this, even though her father or her entire family really resists. And so she goes to the Enchanted Castle and meets the Beast, and he's going to ask her to marry him every night, and she'll refuse, and the story will play out in very beautiful ways. Um, I just thought this was this was fairy tale perfection when I was a kid, and I still I still really love it. Um, I I know that when I read a lot of retellings, the the characters and the setting can still feel kind of formal and mm-hmm. a little bit stiff because they're trying to make it seem old timey, I guess. Yeah. Um, and this really feels like they're real people. They have real connections with each other. They have a real relationship as a family. And Beauty herself is a very normal girl. And I, I remember as a kid really liking that it wasn't a drop dead gorgeous girl who wasn't valued for her beauty. But she also isn't over, overly sassy, which mm-hmm. seems to be the compensation a lot of the time in books when a, a girl isn't beautiful, then she's she has a really strong personality mm-hmm. and it's kind of kind of feisty and that's just she's just very normal she's mm-hmm. she's has quirks and she has strengths and she has weaknesses and and she just felt like a really relatable person and the writing is absolutely gorgeous it's it's very lush but very accessible at the same time so when i was i was looking over this book uh, to prep for the podcast and, and I didn't read this one or reread it in order to prep but I kept getting drawn in and I was gonna say were you tempted oh my gosh I wanted to read it so bad if only I didn't have other things to do I would have been um, specifically if I didn't have to write a bunch of show notes I would have been reading this book instead but it's it's just been too 
too long since I read it. It was such a favorite of mine as a kid and, and it's gorgeous. I, I couldn't recommend it more highly. So that is Beauty by Robin McKinley. How fun. I'll yeah. So my first one is Longbourn by Joe Baker. And this is a reimagining of Pride and Prejudice from the servant's point of view. So as I've discussed before, Pride and Prejudice is one of my favorite books. So Mm -hmm. of course I wanted to read this as soon as it came out. And in the original Pride and Prejudice, I think there are maybe only two or three references to the household staff. Very, very, very minor characters. Mm -hmm. It's very much in passing. But while the Bennets were trying to marry off their five daughters, there were servants who were working behind the scenes to make their lives as easy and seamless as possible. So they didn't have to worry about getting food on the table. They could focus on going to the ball. Mm-hmm. And, and meeting Bingley and and Darcy. So this there focuses on a few characters, but this main character I would say is Sarah, who's a young housemaid, and she dreams of a life bigger than just washing Jane and Lizzie's under things and you know help brushing their hair and helping them get dressed and stuff. This is a definite. If you watched Downton Abbey and mm-hmm. liked the upstairs downstairs, this is the downstairs portion that I think would really appeal to a lot of fans of that show. There's a handsome new footman who is hired named James Smith, and it causes a little bit of a ruckus because he has a secret connection to Longbourn, but there's a little bit of a mystery surrounding what that is, Ooh. and so he intrigues Sarah both because he's so handsome and seems interesting and a little mysterious. Um, but then there's also a footman named Ptolemy who is uh, Bingley's footman. And so obviously Bingley is visiting. You know, there's a lot of interaction there because Bingley plays such a large role in the story with Jane, the main story. Um, and he has dreams of opening a tobacco shop. And so this dazzles Sarah because he, he has this vision of a future free from this downstairs servant life that she is not fond of. there's also more of a focus on the Napoleonic War Mm -hmm. that's going on and and what role that plays for these people. Um, You know, there are, again, passing references to the soldiers and stuff in Pride and Prejudice, but really nothing about the war. Right. Um, And so you get a fuller picture of just that time period, I think, than than just the society manners portion that, that shows up in Pride and Prejudice. Um, and you also, it's it's fun because you get a fuller picture of the characters from Pride and Prejudice based on how they interact with the servants mm-hmm. and the staff because um, some of them are kinder to the staff than others. And so you think, oh, well, maybe Collins isn't quite so mm-hmm. annoying as he seems <laughs> in the book because he's really good to the, the servants. Um, but Wickham is still as awful, if not more awful, mm-hmm. because of the way he treats the staff. So that's that's kind of a fun behind the scenes thing that she did. And I would I would say you don't really have to have read Pride and Prejudice to appreciate this book. It stands on its own as historical fiction, um, but it's definitely uh, you have more insight into the characters and stuff mm-hmm. if you've read Pride and Prejudice. Um, and it's just a generally a good way to look at a, a good look at the way servants lived at the time and what they what they went through. So uh, that's Longborn by Joe Baker. If I'm remembering right, you still get the the Pride and Prejudice story throughout that you d- book, yes, right? Yes, like it they're, isn't they're just definitely, that there's in the background. Yeah, so. I mean, you definitely because they're they're in the the servants are in the background of a lot of what's taking mm-hmm. place in the story, even though they're not mentioned much in the actual Pride and Prejudice time frame mm-hmm. or timeline. Um, so yes, you still are you still know what's happening with. 
mm-hmm. with all the drama that's happening. It isn't happening. like they're just like is the it, yeah, Bennett family is right. a silent And they have opinions group. about what's happening and, and right. who these people are and stuff like that. So yes, it's a good it's a good combination of a mm-hmm. retelling with with a whole new cast of characters right. as well. So yeah, it's such a good idea. It is such a good idea. Um, so my next book is Jane by April Lindner, and this is a retelling of Jane Eyre that's set in contemporary United States. And I think, I'm fairly sure this is a YA book. It's been a while since I read it, but I, I feel pretty confident that it's YA. So in this version, Jane is a college student, um, and she she's a kind of, if, if you've read Jane Eyre, Jane is is sort of a little removed from her peers, I would say. And that's true of, of Jane in this um, retelling as well. She doesn't really connect with people her own age. And so she has this kind of solitary life and she's she's just sort of just a very quiet, quiet but strong person. And I think she has some siblings that she doesn't really talk to as well, but but her parents are putting her through school, but then they they suddenly die. And so she's she's forced to drop out of school and she has to figure out what she's going to do next. So she decides that she's going to work for a, a while and then save up some money so that she can go back to school. So she takes a job as a nanny working for a legendary rock star named Nico Rathburn, and he lives on an estate called Thornfield Park. Even though Jane is extremely reserved and and practical, she she isn't really romantic in any way. She finds herself eventually drawn to Nico's bohemian personality, and even though she's trying to keep distance between them, she finds that when she sees him perform, she she has to admit to herself that she's falling in love with him. So, despite the vast differences in their lives, Nico actually falls in love with her as well, and they become engaged. And so, Jane's life sort of it seems like she's thawing, like she she's finally able to to enjoy life a little bit more and, and is sort of relaxing into a happy existence. But then Nico's secrets come back to haunt him and Jane's world crumbles and she's forced to decide what she can accept now that she knows his entire backstory. So um, if you read the original, you know what that entails. <laughs> and I, I was thinking about Jane Eyre and how often other authors are rewritten. Like Jane Austen, there's a billion re mm-hmm. retellings of of her books um shakespeare you see that happen all the time definitely with fairy tales you see all the time but with jane Eyre, you don't see that quite mm-hmm. as often and this this one i read i can't remember what year it came out but i read it probably 2011 i want to mm-hmm. say and at the time i didn't know of any other jane Eyre retellings and now i know i was i was doing a little bit of searching last night and i know that jane Steele came out last yeah, year but, and there's a few others that are and jane kind Steele, of, i read that mm-hmm. and i don't remember if i talked about it on the podcast or not but i expected it to be a retelling telling of Jane mm-hmm. Eyre but it's not really it's uh oh, interesting. I mean, it's, it, it sort of is influenced by I mean uh-huh. it clearly is influenced by Jane Eyre I should say that but Jane Eyre plays the book plays a role in Jane Steele oh, and Jane so it Steele exists in that world interesting. reading Jane Eyre so interesting it's not I thought it was a retelling with her as yeah like, like assassin or something a, I don't remember right. exactly what her she kills people I know that and it, it's it sort of is but mm-hmm. it's it's also more meta than that because she's hmm. reading Jane Eyre at the same time. Interesting. So anyway, that's, that's very interesting. Note. Well, and and even looking last night, there's a lot of of stories like Wide Sargasso Sea is another classic yes. book that's taking yeah. a character from from Jane Eyre and telling their their story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seemed like there's several of those, but not not a lot of just straight retellings. Yeah. So it's it's sort of interesting of why that that's the case. 
which I, I'm assuming because the circumstances of, of Jane's life in Jane Eyre are that she's a single penniless woman mm-hmm. and that had very different consequences or, or you lived a very different life if that was your, mm-hmm. your life in 19th century England than if that's the case now. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a little harder to translate, but I think for the most part it works in, in this book. There's still some things that, that they have to change to make mm-hmm. it work, but but it was very enjoyable to read this. The I think one way they make it work is that they do away with the entire early section of Jane's life. So okay. in, in the original, she she goes to a orphanage, and right. there's a whole history with her mm-hmm. her uh, extended family that she's been living with, and they take that out. And I think it was also really smart to make Nico into a rock star mm-hmm. because that gives her, Jane a way to to connect with him emotionally mm-hmm. that you wouldn't necessarily see with another type of celebrity. Right. So if you were an actor, you wouldn't kind of get that same that same like music has such a connecting power right. so so i thought that was really smart and the author actually says in, in an afterword of the book which rockstar inspired her oh. which was very interesting to see what her her version of a modern right. mr rochester is um, which i won't tell you but it wasn't the person that i pictured at all but it was then interesting to look back on the book okay. and see how she had been imagining this with that person in mind so that was kind of a, a neat little tidbit at the end I also think this would be a good gateway book for teenagers who haven't read the original that mm-hmm. maybe it could get them interested in, in classic lit. So, so there's all kinds of, of benefits to reading retellings. I, I think they're fun. This was called Jane by April Littner. All right. So my next one is When Beauty Tamed the Beast by Eloisa James. I'm so glad you got a romance novel. I had to get a romance novel because there are a lot of romance really? novels. Yeah, I mean... Well, the fairy tale aspect just in general of a happy ever right. after influences a lot of romance novels but this series is actually it's called now I can't remember it's called the fairy tale series or happy ever after series but one or the other I mean it's a series of books written and they're all they all have a direct correlation to a fairy tale I know you need to read one (laughs) that sounds so fun so Eloisa James is the author and she is a Shakespeare professor as well as a romance novelist and so her books are really fun because they always have references to other works of literature beyond just so for this one yes it's Beauty and the Beast inspired and that's the storyline of sort of um but then she also throws in a bunch of other references that are that are fun to catch so it's also heavily influenced by the tv show house did you ever watch that show so yeah i watched i think the first season it's about like this cranky grumpy doctor but he's brilliant at diagnosing people so in this one lynette so i should say this is the second in the fairy tale series but you truly do not have to read these Mm -hmm. in order they're all standalone Lynette Thrine or Thryn is beautiful and vivacious and she's having this intense flirting relationship with the prince and the expectation of everybody including her is that they are going to be engaged to be married and she's going to be a princess it's going to be all fabulous and then he backs out of the relationship quite suddenly and Lynette wears a dress that causes everybody in of the society's upper echelons to think she's pregnant and so the combination of the two is uh suddenly she seems unmarriable or uh, not marriage material anymore right. by society so she's gone from the highest of highs to because everybody knew she was having this relationship with the prince and then yeah. now she looks like she's pregnant and now he's thrown her over and not isn't going to marry her so everybody's like all right well obviously she got pregnant and now a prince can't marry an unwed pregnant woman you yeah know, uh, yeah anyway so 
And then there's the Beast character is this rude man named uh, Piers Yelverton. He's the Earl of Marchant, and he's rumored to be impotent. And his father decides that Lynette will make the perfect wife for him because she's already pregnant and her reputation is in complete tatters so she has no choice but to marry him um and and Piers only the only thing Piers has claimed he cares about is that it's a very beautiful woman that he's going to marry which which Lynette fits the bill so the two of them meet and Lynette's like this is going to be no problem to get him to fall in love with me and marry you know work for this of course I'm beautiful like mm-hmm. all these men fall over their feet for me um and she gets a little bit more than she bargains for because he is like I said, brilliant and cranky, like Dr. House is, but he is also more three-dimensional than she realizes he's going to be, and um, he is determined he's never going to fall in love, and so now she has a bigger challenge on her hand to get him to fall in love with her, and so you know where the story's going, as you always do, <laughs> but it's uh, these books all have a really sly humor and really mm-hmm. smart dialogue and pretty steamy love scenes, so if you like that, then you have the steam. If you don't like it, you can easily skip over them, um, and they're a treat to read. They're always like a little mental... Not vacation isn't the right word, because there's some... You know, right, some, yeah, they're not dumb. D- right, exactly. they're not stupid in right. any way, but they're just like an escape in, yeah. in a good, good, positive way. Um, and so that is When Beauty Tamed the Beast by Eloisa James. That's funny. When you said when you said it was inspired by House, I kept thinking it was a contemporary. And then as the, all these earls are showing up, I yeah. was like, what world does yeah, she live in? Yeah. But historical is fine. Yeah. That sounds really fun. Yes. I'm going to put, I, <gasps> I want that right now. <laughs> We do work at a library. That, that is would true. be possible. Although we don't carry a lot of romance. So. We don't usually have to get romances from other libraries. Yeah, it doesn't circulate here. Um, okay, my last book is March by Geraldine Brooks. This is a little bit of a different take on a retelling since it's not actually retelling anything that's in a classic book. It's just taking a side character and fleshing it out. So that's, as we were saying earlier, there's lots of different ways you can you can sort of force a retelling of, mm-hmm. of a book but I that's one of my favorite ways is having someone that's just barely mentioned and mm-hmm. then then finding a way to give them a story so this one this book takes the character of the mostly absent father of the March sisters in Little Women and tells what he's doing while the action of that book is taking place so I, I know in that book he's not at the beginning and then he he comes into the story but then he, even once he's back in Massachusetts he you don't really see him ever so or where he doesn't do a lot so um, so he's just sort of the silent character. But in this book, Mr. March is loosely based on Louisa May Alcott's own father, who was an idealistic educator in, in Massachusetts and, and sort of had these um, these ideas of, of what he could do to create a perfect society. And, and they weren't successful, unfortunately. But... Uh, the version in, in March is that Mr. March is an idealistic clergyman who is a staunch abolitionist and he's deeply influenced by John Brown and he uh, knows and, and is influenced by the prominent philosophical, philosophical thinkers of the time who were Emerson and Thoreau. And those are actually people that, that uh, Louisa May Alcott's father was friends with as well. So so this is all sort of tying into this sort of meta um, writing of this book. So at the outbreak of the Civil War, uh, Mr. March volunteers to be a chaplain for the Union Army, and he's full of optimism optimism of the righteousness of this war, but he's really uh, quickly disillusioned once he actually goes into into the field because he realizes that the Northern soldiers are deeply racist and they're, they're not fighting for 
anything that he believes in. Um, and he sees terrible violence and cruelty and, and it just is a very disheartening experience for him. So he is assigned to a cotton plantation that employs freed slaves. And while he's there, he meets, um, a woman named Grace, who was a freed slave that he had known years before and had possibly had a relationship um, when he encountered her in Connecticut. And so that that part of the story sort of opens up the rest of the book to his early history. And so you find out how he meets Marmee, who's the, the mother in, in Little Women, and how the family ended up in Concord, Massachusetts, and how they found themselves in genteel poverty, um, which is it's interesting when you're... I, I actually didn't read the book until I was an adult, but I loved the, the Winona Ryder movie mm-hmm. when I was a, a kid. And at the time, it didn't occur to me that a huge part of the story is that they don't have money. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a pretty major element of the story. But as a kid, you don't really recognize that. Mm-hmm. You just think, oh, they're living in a beautiful house, right? <laughs> so, um, so it's it's it was interesting to read this book and to sort of recognize things that that I hadn't picked up on as a kid. So after you get that backstory, then Mr. March is. Uh, is on this plantation and he um, is injured when or I think he actually falls ill when the plantation is attacked by Confederate soldiers and so then he's taken to a hospital in Washington and that's the point that he sort of enters the story in Little Women when Marmy has to rush off and and go take care of him um, and then at, at the at that point then the the perspective shifts to Marmy's perspective and you get all of the same information but through her eyes and you realize at that point how important the narrator is to understanding the information that we're given so I wasn't expecting that when I was reading this book and I thought that was a really fascinating um, take on on the story to to have given to, to see all these things that that Mr. March is experiencing and then to to realize that he has a perspective and even though he doesn't realize it then then we we're just aware of a lot of new information so um I, I really like that Geraldine Brooks, the author, gave new perspectives on what we think we know about the Civil War. And so for me, that was, um, you know, before I lived here, I had never really thought very much about the Civil War. And so to see that the history that I had just internalized of North is good, South is bad, that there's a lot more shades of gray in there. Um, and there's a lot of dichotomies between having dreams and having to be practical and wanting to live an ideal life and dealing with reality there's just a lot of a lot of opposites that she sets up in the book that i found really interesting and the portrayals of war are really sharply drawn there it's a really harrowing look at at what war would actually be like um and nothing is sugar-coated for you in this book um so it's it was it was just a very eye-opening book for me to read it won the pulitzer prize in 2006 and so um it's a a very deep book and there's a lot of things if you're looking for a good book club book this would Mm -hmm. really be a good pick because there's a lot of meat to the story and there's a lot of information or or depth to it that isn't just about the retelling aspect of it but then it, it would be a fascinating way to look at little women and to compare the two of them since so many people have read them uh, or has, have read Little Women, so I, I just this was a really great find for me when I when I read this. I read it much after the fact of when it had won the Pulitzer Prize, but it was I really really enjoyed it. It's called March by Geraldine Brooks. I co-signed that completely. I yeah, love that book. I think I like everything she writes. So oh, me too. But that was I think my favorite of hers. Yeah, I, I do think so. All right, so my last one is A Thousand Acres by Jane Smiley. And I actually read this in college for a class and have not read it since, so my memory might be a little <laughs> Never admit, sketchy. never admit that. I know, sorry. <laughs> but I mean, I remember it fairly well, and I did look up before 
before we recorded yeah, you know, to, to refresh my memory. But uh, this is a retelling of Shakespeare's King Lear, and it's set in the 80s on a farm in the Midwestern United States. Uh, it won the 1992 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction and the National Book Critics Circle Award for Fiction in 1991. So well regarded. Um, it's about a man named Larry Cook, who is an aging farmer who owns a thousand acres of land in Iowa. And he has decided he's going to incorporate the farm and divide it equally between his three daughters. Um, his two older daughters are both married and have lived and worked on the farm for many years. And so they're super excited at this prospect because he's kind of a despot and he uh, <laughs> everything is the way he wants it to be. And so finally, they're going to be out from under his thumb. They're going to be able to take their portion of the farm and run it the way they want to. However, his youngest daughter's name is Caroline. She's an attorney, and she rejects the idea out of hand uh, as soon as she hears it. And her father blows up and cuts her off completely um, from any sort of inheritance or any part of the farm or wealth that comes from that. So his announcement sets off a chain of events which brings to light a number of long-held secrets that really threaten to tear the family apart. And... There's another aspect where Larry might have dementia or Alzheimer's, so there's a question of whether he's even sane enough to be making this decision. Um, and particularly, he decides, you know, at one point, he, well, none of you can have it, and and so there's a lot of uh, back and forth, and, and nobody's quite sure what's going on. And so they, the daughters are, one daughter in particular is trying to do what she thinks is best for her father because she wants to make sure he's healthy and safe and um, but they also of course each want what's best for themselves and so if you've ever read King Lear it is not the most uplifting of stories <laughs> uh, and neither is this it's pretty bleak it's very moody um, but it's just brilliantly written it's very captivating it's very evocative of like the midwestern plains and, yeah. and farms and big huge thunderstorms that maybe aren't the most subtle of ways Mm -hmm. to to represent some of some of the conflict that's happening in the book but it's just it's excellent um so like i said i read it many years ago um but i i still remember clearly um some of the scenes and how much i i really liked reading this book and i've heard jane smiley uh, or i've read before that jane smiley is always surprised when people say how much they love this book because she thinks it's like kind of a terrible story or people doing not so great things but it's just this is a book where you don't necessarily like the characters or like the story but you're so emotionally invested in what's Mm -hmm. happening so a thousand acres by jane smiley do you find that when you do a retelling or when you read a retelling that you do you do you go to the source material first or do you just so what do do you think on that though what do you when i personally am reading something yeah so in some of the cases, like I know the source material so well, mm-hmm. I don't really need to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I recently read The Wrath and the Dawn, mm-hmm. which we've talked about. Um, and so in that case, I just read it as like its own story. And right. then after the fact, went and looked up the actual, the actual, I don't know what it's called. Arabian Nights. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, Arabian Nights, but I was going to say the, not fable, but you know what I mean? Yeah. The, the story. So I think it depends. What about you? It, yeah, it depends on, like, I, I recently read Vinegar Girl, which I oh, thought right. about talking about on this, but I liked March better, so I wanted to <laughs> highlight that because I loved it so much. Um, but I, I very much enjoyed Vinegar Girl. But um, but in that case, I had never seen uh, Taming of the Shrew oh, or right. read anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew the basic yeah. gist of the story, but I was really glad in that case that I had watched the, I think I watched the Elizabeth Taylor, uh, Richard Burton yeah. version. 
and there were there were elements to like little details in the book mm-hmm. that wouldn't have made sense right. or or they wouldn't have been confusing but yeah. they just made it a richer experience right. so um i generally like to have known yeah, the so source I think material I like to know first yeah i think you just get more out of yeah. it probably yeah and but it's it, like a thousand acres i'm thinking back i'm pretty sure i read king lear when i was maybe a senior in high school and mm-hmm. then this would have been my freshman year in college so it was close enough yeah. to have clearly remembered it yeah. but yeah i think it, like something like this i don't think you would appreciate as much mm-hmm. if you hadn't if you didn't know right but then something like when beauty tamed the beast you probably never even would have had to hear of the right. fairy tale although everybody knows beauty and the beast right. but um and still enjoy it yeah. but you never certainly never would have had to see see the show house to right to, to like enjoy the book but you get all these references mm-hmm. that just come from knowing it yeah so, it just makes yeah. it a little bit yeah better yeah than, yeah but yeah i That's think on all of these though. then we look back on it all of these you wouldn't have to necessarily have read the source material right. in order to enjoy it it just is it just makes it a richer reading right. experience yeah which, fully fleshes out I yeah. think, what they're doing all right so we'll be right back with what we're reading this week And what are you reading this week? I'm reading a book that I talked about on the fall 2016 book preview, but I'm, I'm just getting to it now. Um, it's called By Gaslight by Stephen Price. And I think it came out at the beginning of October. And I actually, I had a copy pretty well in advance and I was very, very excited for this book, but I decided to hold off on it until October because it seemed like such a good, like not spooky in the in a supernatural kind of way, but it's a, a very atmospheric novel so I wanted that feeling in October so hooray for me for doing some mood reading hooray for me Um, I actually started it a few days ago, but the writing is so dense that I'm only about 30 pages in. And also I've been sleeping terribly, so I keep falling asleep as soon as I I get into bed. So it's not a a knock on the quality of it. It's just, it's going to be a a long read, but that's sort of the mood that I'm in right now. I want something that um, feels weighty and slow. Mm -hmm. I like that for for winter reading, Um, but sometimes you want things you can race through. So it's just a different, a different mood. Um, the book is set in London in 1885, and uh, it starts with William Pinkerton, who is the son of the famous detective who started the Pinkerton Agency. Um, it starts with him. He's in the middle of pursuing a lead on a man that had eluded his father, who is the notorious criminal Edward Shade. And William's father recently died, and William has determined that he can work through his complex feelings about his father. Um, he obviously loved him and respected him, but also had probably some competition with him and there's just pretty complicated feelings there um he decides that by capturing shade he can he can deal with all of these emotions that he's he's experiencing and so at the same time we're getting chapters um about a self-made man named adam fool who is coming to london to find a woman that he had a love affair with 10 years prior but when he gets there he realizes he's arrived too late because she died while being chased by william pinkerton because she's actually the lead on on edward shade that he was pursuing so that's as far as i've gotten <laughs> that's i don't know any more than that and really the descriptions of the book in um on Goodreads and on the back of the book don't tell a lot more information than that. So 
really the, any review I've read has talked more, much more about the atmosphere and the the um, the writing than the actual plot. So that's just the setup, and I expect it to go in lots of different directions from here. But there's the book. The book looks like it will go through all these atmospheric spaces of Victorian London. So we'll go into opium dens and down dark alleys, and we'll go into stately drawing rooms, and all of this is shrouded in fog. And I just can't wait to get my hands on it so um this is the london of sherlock holmes and and so if if that appeals to you then this would be a great pick um there's a really cool allusion to to sherlock holmes without even mentioning him by name within the first few pages so i'm hoping that the book will have more literary references sort of sprinkled throughout because i really like those those little clues that you find that are just like in a retelling when you when you recognize that there's a parallel somewhere i think that that's really fun to find um, and I think, um, based on what I've read, the book will be about the symbiotic relationship between the criminal and the detective. That they both need each other, and they're they're both, you know, hoping for mutual destruction of the other. But but that they 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 can't exist one without the other. So I think that's a really interesting idea. Um, if you've read The Luminaries by Eleanor Catton, which I talked about last mm-hmm. year is one of my, my favorite reads of last year, um, I think that this will be kind of a similar read, although I hesitate to say that because I have a friend who really hated The Luminaries that I think would really love this book, mm-hmm. so I don't want to dissuade him from reading that. But it's a, it's also a 19th century mystery that is just giant. This is a 700-something page book. Um, so it will have kind of an epic scope, and I think that if you like something that has some meat on it, then this will this will be a good pick. So I'm I'm enjoying it, even though I'm only 30 pages in so far. I've, I really liked it. And it's called By Gaslight by Stephen Price. I have a question for you. Okay. When you read a 700-page book, do you intersperse that with other books at the same time, or well, do you the, just plow through? This is the book I'm reading before beds be, because it's so big. I don't want to cart it around with me. So yes, be, mm-hmm. but it's going to take me forever because I'm only reading it before bed. And maybe at a certain point, I'll decide I'll read it at other times. But it really depends. There's... Um, like the luminaries I read all at once, but that was because it was for a book club. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know there are other books that have been giant that I've just plowed through, but sometimes I, I mean, I guess that kind of goes along with mood reading. Mm-hmm. If you, if you feel like you just need a break from something, yeah. then, then you have to take a break. But I remember reading um, East of Eden and thinking that I would do like, there's different parts mm-hmm. to that book. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking, well, I'm going to read a part and then I'll read another book. But then it was so good. So good. I just kept reading it. So, um, so it sort of depends on, on how I'm feeling yeah. reading it. But in this case, it's just a brick and I don't want to cart it to work with me. So <laughs> I'm going to read it before bed. All right, so what I read this week is, or yeah, I just finished it yesterday, uh, is El Defo by C.C. Bell. And after our childhood favorites episode that we did a month or two ago, I decided to fill in some of my reading gaps in children's literature. Oh, fun. Because I think I mentioned after we did that episode, I was like, I have to go back and read my favorite children's books. But then I thought, well, really what I need to do is look at some of the current, more current mm-hmm. children's literature that's out there because I just don't read much of that at all. Yeah. Um, so I printed out a list of the Newbery Honor and Winner books oh, and award books. And I'm just, I'm not going through it straight through. I'm just cherry picking out the ones that looked interesting. And this was an honor book in 2015. And it's a graphic memoir about a young girl who is deaf. And Cece Bell could hear until she was four years old when she came down with meningitis. And she recovered after a few days um, in the hospital, but had lost her hearing. And she, now I don't, Oh gosh, now I don't remember. It's like there are different levels of deafness and I think she's profoundly deaf. So okay. with with hearing aids, she can hear 
she could hear sounds but still can't quite make out what people are saying Mm -hmm. and so this graphic memoir recounts her story from the time she was four until she's in the fifth grade the illustrations are absolutely adorable they're pretty brightly colored like Mm -hmm. lots of primary colors and very attention grabbing so perfect for kids and all of the people in the book are depicted as rabbits with big ears (laughs) uh, which makes sense because it's so appropriate that there's a you know for her she's so self-conscious about the fact that she's deaf and how she looks to other people uh, with her hearing aids or even just the fact that she's deaf there's such a focus on hearing and ears so it's just it's so sweet and she is sent to a school for the deaf when she for her first year of school but then her family moves from a city to a small town in Virginia and at that point she is put into the public school Mm -hmm. Um, and so surrounded by hearing people but she's given a device called a phonic ear which is it's a like got a box which I guessing sort of like a speaker amplifier thing that she straps to her chest and then it has wires that go for um, hearing aids into her ears and then her teacher would have a microphone that she would speak into and it makes everything very clear to Cece. She can suddenly hear everything that the teacher is saying but it's also bulky and she feels like uncomfortable with the fact that she has these wires going up to her ears and it she's depicted as wearing a lot of overalls Mm -hmm. because that way it can kind of cover up the box so um but it helps her at school because then she knows what's going on uh, in class but she still feels very isolated and alone and and part of the story is her trying to find friends that treat her normally uh, and not special in either a positive or negative way because she is deaf Um, which I think a lot of people can identify with no matter what your situation is you just want to be treated normally and um, and and being deaf is just part of Cece's story and it's not her full personality Mm -hmm. and so and I think we can all identify with that feeling of being a kid and trying to fit in and and so this just took it to a next level about the fact that she was deaf uh, and she lip reads she there is a brief stint where she her mother enrolls her in sign language classes at their church um, but she's not really interested in learning sign language she learns to lip read um, and one of the panels shows how difficult lip reading is for a deaf person mm-hmm. uh, because you basically have to be looking head on and speaking normally for the, and even still it's very difficult because different words you make the same mouth shape for mm-hmm. so you have to go by context and things to understand what the person is saying well, if someone has a beard too, if they have a beard or a mustache if they're turned away from you at yeah. all if it's a group speaking she has no idea how to follow the conversation mm-hmm. so it, it's illuminating in that way too she talks about watching tv and it's basically impossible to lip read on TV, but she still just enjoys watching it. She talks about watching cartoons and she watches Tom and Jerry and they don't talk so she can follow <laughs> along really well. So it's just, it's a really, it was a really good story in general. I mean, it's a true story and it's always useful, especially for children to learn about kind of otherness, so mm-hmm. to speak, of, of an acceptance. Um, it's, it's sweet. She creates an alter ego for herself, and it's a superhero named El Defo, who has these extraordinary abilities, and she's trying to find a sidekick because she, she's always looking for a best friend. And um, and again, like I said, it's, it's sweet, it's appropriate for kids, but it's also, it, I sort of compare it to Wonder, which okay. is a book I loved and have talked about before on the podcast, I'm pretty sure. Yes. Um, just about acceptance and accepting people for who they are mm-hmm. and and um and there's also a lot of humor that because it's a, clearly a cc bell is an adult now and she's writing the story of being this child and so there are a lot of 
there's a lot of funny funny aspects to it that she slips in there so that's El Defo by C.C. Bell all right let's go back and talk uh list off all the books we talked about okay um I talked about Beauty by Robin McKinley Jane by April Lidner March by Geraldine Brooks and what I read this week was by Gaslight by Stephen Price and I talked about Longborn by Joe Baker when Beauty Tamed the Beast by Eloisa James, A Thousand Acres by Jane Smiley, and what I read this week was El Defo by C.C. Bell. If you'd like to get in touch with us to give us feedback or a suggestion on a topic you'd like us to discuss, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com, find us on our Facebook page or on Twitter at wellreadpodcast. Please rate and review us on iTunes or your other podcast provider of choice. Our podcast is engineered by Adam Farver. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at BeaufortCountyLibrary.org slash well-read, where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this episode. Thank you all for listening, and happy reading. Thank you.